Hear this reading from Psalm 1. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. They're like trees planted by streams of water which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither, and all they do they prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Would you pray with me? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together bring glory and honor to you. O God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. The book of Psalms is unique in the Bible. In other books of the Bible, we have God speaking to us. The word of the Lord came to Isaiah. The word of the Lord came to Moses. The word of the Lord came to Micah. The word of the Lord was Jesus. The Psalms are different. In the Psalms, we have the hymn book of ancient Israel, their worship set list. These were the songs that Israel wrote to come into worship of God. They were words to God. But then, this, extraordinary, this ordinary list of songs, something extraordinary happens to them. This is more than just a music set list, since I believe that God is at work within that canonical process. As these, books went, these words went from ordinary communication to scripture over time, God said through the people, these are the words I want you to save. These are the songs that are different. These are the songs that are special. These are the words I want you to save as examples of how to sing and how to pray to me. So now, these words which started as words to God have become words from God. Words from God that teach us how to speak to God, how to pray to God, how to sing to God. So today, we start at the very beginning, which I hear is a very good place to start. This psalm celebrates the life of an individual who commits themselves to Torah, to God's instruction, God's teaching. Well, maybe we should have seen that coming. After all, the psalms themselves have five books that many people over the years have connected to the five books of the Torah. God's instructions for life are contained in Genesis through Deuteronomy. Now God's instructions for worship start with a psalm that remembers Torah. This has always been called a psalm of the two ways. You know, there are two kinds of people in the world. It's really a very simple formula for life. The righteous avoid those situations of the wicked. They don't sit where the wicked sit. They don't stand where the wicked stand. They don't walk where the wicked walk. No, the, the righteous meditate, uh, literally growl, uh, murmur on God's teaching, God's instruction. And as a result, the righteous are happy. They are blessed by God like trees planted by a stream. And of course, the wicked find their reckoning as well, where the righteous are productive trees, the wicked are dandelion fluff. They are sticky, nasty, worthless chaff that blows away to the wind. Good people get good things, bad people get bad things. A very simple formula for life. And you know, it's not the only place that we see that. Deuteronomy has verses very much like these. Proverbs is full of verses over and over again that connect good behavior to reward and bad behavior to punishment. Good people get good things, bad people get bad things. A simple psalm of the two ways. You know, just like life works, where good people get blessed and bad people get punished. 
Aren't you glad you live in a world where that simple formula holds so well? Well, we know that always the good people get good things and the bad people, all right, maybe not. There's only one tiny little problem with this simple formula for life. You don't have to read very far in the Psalms. Quite frankly, you don't have to live very long in this world to discover that life doesn't work this way. It doesn't always work according to this simple formula. Day after day of living, psalm after psalm in the Bible shows righteous people suffering. Good people who aren't happy or blessed. And what's probably more frustrating than that is that uh, wicked people keep doing pretty well. I mean, I'm upset that good people suffer, but I'm really upset that bad people are doing okay, you know? So what do I do with that information? What do I do when my experience is at odds with this psalm and when even the Bible seems to be at odds with itself? Is Psalm 1 just being overly simplistic? Is Psalm 1 just speaking in generalities or talking about something different? Or is it possible that there's something more being said here? It could be that this psalm is, is speaking about an early stage of faith. You know, at the beginning of that faith journey, when individuals are often only concerned with, well, how does this affect me? Is their eternity assured? Do they receive material gifts? Will God get them out of their current dilemma? Psalm 1 might be a prayer from early in a faith walk, similar to a parent instructing their child to, to clean their room or they won't get their allowance. And if they don't clean their room, they're going to be punished. The parent's hope is, of course, that the child learns the value of cleaning their room without the promise of reward or the threat of punishment. Likewise, Psalms very quickly move the reader from this very naive faith in Psalm 1 to a place where obedience comes without the promise of reward or the fear of punishment. It's true that throughout the Bible you can see people working at different levels of trust and faith. There are those who believe without seeing. There are those who need to see. There are those who need the promise of treasures in heaven and those who are able to trust without any concern of personal gain. I've always thought it was fascinating when I read Jeremiah and how dumbfounded Jeremiah was with the people of Judah who, who wouldn't be obedient even though God promised to reward them if they were. Jeremiah was saying, if you just be obedient, God would bless you. And yet, that very fact that Jeremiah is giving to Judah is not at work in the life of Jeremiah. He was constantly obedient to God, and he was not met with blessing, but beatings and imprisonments, and tradition says eventually stoning. Jeremiah, it seemed, had reached a point of faith where he didn't need the reward to be obedient. He was willing to follow God even when it cost him. He couldn't get Judah to be obedient even when it was in their best interest to do so. Many parents understand that frustration all too well. So perhaps Psalm 1 is speaking to those early in a faith journey, the ones who still need the promise of heaven or the threat of hell or the treasure in heaven, who, who need the cookie for picking up their toys. Maybe. But it's also possible this text of Psalms is saying more than we think all along. I mean, who are the good guys here? Well, the good guys are the ones who are meditating on the Torah. And the bad guys? Well, they don't meditate on the Torah. It might be helpful to remember that the Bible writers knew their Bible far better than we know it sometimes and are able to, to make those connections. It's not uncommon for them to make very subtle connections between texts. Earlier in the sermon, I, I made a very subtle reference to the sound of music that I hope people recognized. There were enough giggles that made me feel like it was. I wasn't too subtle. Here, the psalmist might very well be making a connection to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8, we see another image of a blossoming tree. 
Here in the Psalms, the picture of the righteous as a flourishing tree and the wicked as chaff connects very well to Jeremiah's image of the withered bush and the well-watered tree. In Jeremiah, judgment is coming on Judah and human sin and selfishness has led those who have forsaken God to destruction and they're taking a lot of innocent people with them. In Jeremiah, the wicked are like parched bushes in the desert, but the righteous are like flourishing trees planted by the water. Even in the midst of despair and destruction that is swirling all around them, Jeremiah says those who trust in God can flourish and have confidence and peace. In Psalm 1, just like in Jeremiah 17, the wicked are as useless and irritating as chaff. The righteous can rest assured that one day there'll be a reckoning to balance the scales. But here's something we might miss. In Jeremiah, the wicked that Jeremiah is referencing are those individuals who claim to follow God, but whose hearts aren't faithful. They, they care about their own prosperity. They care about their own wealth. They care about their own position. They use their religion for their own purposes. And Jeremiah was furious that the people of Judah's lives didn't reflect God's Torah, just like the wicked here in Psalm 1. They are the wicked in Jeremiah. They're the parched bushes. Well, if the psalmist here is purposely referencing Jeremiah 17 with his flourishing tree and wicked chaff, he might very well be saying in verse 1 that the righteous person is blessed because that righteous person doesn't go along or associate with people who call themselves followers of God, but whose lives are not defined by Torah. For us, remember, that means those who don't walk with people who call themselves Christian, but whose lives are not defined by our new Torah given by Christ, love of God, which is exactly the same as love of neighbor. If that's what the psalmist is saying, if the wicked here are the same as the wicked in Jeremiah, then this just got very real. I mean, think about it. If this psalm means don't associate with people who we traditionally define as wicked, then Jesus didn't follow the advice of this psalm very well. He was always eating with and talking with and walking with and sitting with people we traditionally identify as wicked. But if, however, the wicked are the ones who claim they're following God, but whose lives are not defined by the Torah, well, then Jesus' behavior makes complete sense. He never stood or sat or went along with the self-righteous religious establishment. And God certainly watched over Jesus' way. But then that brings us back to blessed. Blessed is the one who does this. Blessed? Could we say that Jesus is blessed, really? Crucifixion? Blessed? The retributive justice part of this psalm is still a little troubling. The righteous are trees, the wicked are blown away. Psalm 1-6 is often translated, the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but it might interest you to know the more literal translation of that, which is represented in some books, is the Lord knows. That word know we talked about on Wednesday night, so if you weren't here, you missed it. You'd have to ask somebody. Okay, I'll give you a little bit now. The word know is more than just knowledge. It's more than just knowing about. In ancient Hebrew mind, knowledge conveyed a close understanding and relationship. Know can be a euphemism for human intimacy. It can be used to express knowledge that comes from experience. To know something was to go beyond simple intellectual capacity. Knowing conveyed intimate understanding. Here, God knows the way of the righteous. Well, there's another place that God knows, and it's one that stands out to me. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 25, it says that the Egyptians increased the burden on the Israelites. The Egyptians increased their suffering. And that chapter ends with a powerful and ominous phrase, the last two words in that chapter, and God knew. 
God didn't know about their suffering. God hadn't heard things were going badly for the Israelites. God knew their suffering. In fact, God says as much in the next chapter to Moses. God says, I know the suffering of my people. God intimately understood Israel's pain, and God was about to take steps to deliver them. One can't help but wonder if the context of the trees in Jeremiah 17 and God's knowledge in Exodus 2 come to inform our reading here in Psalm 1. Perhaps this psalm is not a formulaic statement about success and blessing. Perhaps it isn't how to find material blessing or an easy life in this world. Perhaps instead Psalm 1 is being spoken into a context where suffering happens. Evil is a present reality, where life is difficult and questions are unanswered, where people claim to follow God but oppress others and use their religious commitment for their own purposes. Perhaps the psalmist is seeking instruction on how to respond to personal suffering or even suffering at the hands of those who call themselves God's people. This psalm is not just a simple statement about good people and bad people. It's not those two ways. I think it's a psalm of encouragement and a psalm of challenge. If you're someone who identifies as one of God's people, but whose life is not identified by God's Torah, by love, if you don't meditate daily on the Torah that God has given Christians, if you don't focus daily growling and murmuring over ways to love God and love neighbor, then you should be warned that God isn't mocked. Your life amounts to little more than dandelion fluff. There's nothing that makes God angrier throughout the entire Bible than people who make God look bad. They always get the harshest judgments. If you claim to wear God's name but don't have love, your life is worth dandelion fluff. On the other hand, you might be someone whose life is not easy right now, who's found struggle in questions and commitment. The message of Psalm 1 for you isn't that you just don't study Torah enough. The message is not that you aren't righteous enough or that you've been hanging out with too many sinners. The message for the one who desperately seeks to love but sees only destruction and difficulty around you, that message is hope. There's hope. Hang on. You aren't wasting your time. You're the one whose life is making the lasting contribution. You're the one who's leaving the legacy. You're the one who is the tree sitting by the riverside blossoming in season. God knows your way, just as God knew the suffering of ancient Israel. Don't leave God for other ways or counsels which promise answers. The righteous one is the one who trusts. Not as some recluse pondering the deep questions of life, the righteous one is dedicated to thinking, to meditating, to growling on how God would instruct them to love in this world. The one who looks to God finds a quiet peace in the midst of the raging desperation of life all around us. The one who looks to God can flourish in the midst of a hopeless desert. The one who looks to God can find hope and have a life that endures. Of course, the wicked, the one who looks to self, comes to nothing. Those who have no regard for what God wants or how God wants them to live come to nothing. They contribute nothing to this world and they find now no hope and no legacy. So the righteous can find hope in God. The wicked can find nothing. How about that? I guess it was a psalm of the two ways after all. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for words you speak to us. We thank you for the words you speak to us in our naivete. We thank you for the words that you speak to us in deeper ways. Sometimes, dear God, this world dries our souls. 
It feels as though we are withered bushes or worthless grass clippings. Thank you for reminding us that you know that. Thank you for reminding us that you understand, that you live it with us. Thank you for your word which promises to sustain, bless, refresh our souls. Thank you for being a God of hope. Thank you for reminding us of your ability to sustain us, to help us persevere. As always, dear God, we thank you for comforting us when we are afflicted. And we thank you, God, for your challenge as well. Too often we do not meditate on your teaching. Too often we do not show your love, your Torah, in the world around us. Thank you for reminding us that that comes to nothing. Thank you for afflicting us when we are comfortable, that we might learn to look like you in all we do. Help us, O oh God, to look like you each day we live. For in Christ's name we ask it. Amen.